You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Recovery from Petya Netya Not Petya proceeds, and it's not ransomware. Ukraine says Russia's responsible. U.S. warnings of cyber attacks on nuclear power plants may have been premature. NATO members consider when to invoke Article 5 in cyberspace. Islamist inspiration and other political discontents continue to prompt content screening in Europe. Europe is also in a punitive mood with respect to regulation. Kaspersky says it will show the U.S. its source code if that's the cost of doing business. And hey, lords and commons, that's not really Windows support asking for your password. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, July 3rd, 2017. Last week's Petya Netya Not Petya campaign is now clearly seen as destructive and disruptive, and not a ransomware attack at all. By the way, we're just going to refer to it as Petya in today's podcast, just for the sake of time. Affected organizations continue their recovery. The experience of Maersk is instructive. Last Thursday, the shipping company told customers its operations had resumed at a now-close-to-normal rate, although some clients reported continuing difficulties. FedEx's TNT Express subsidiary was also heavily affected, with disruptions reported into the weekend. There's been no shortage of advice on how enterprises might respond to Petya. They range from the simple, for heaven's sake, patch already, to you should have used blockchain, and all the way to retaliation by drone strike. Ukrainian authorities have directly and unambiguously blamed Russia for last week's Petya attacks. They've also called in international partners, including Interpol and the FBI, to help with the investigation. The threat actor held to be responsible is the group known as Telebots or Sandworm, a Russian actor also associated with attacks on Ukraine's power grid in December 2016. Russian authorities, for their part, deny having anything to do with it, but their story finds few takers. It's true that some Russian enterprises, notably the oil company Rosneft, were also infected. And it's also true that Russian presidential spokesman Dmitry Peskov called late last week for the international cooperation against cybercrime of this type. Whether one sees infestations at Rosneft and Mr. Peskov's desire for cooperation as exculpatory evidence or as provocation and misdirection will depend on how historically informed one's interpretations of official Russian motives are. Three observations are perhaps in order. 
first, as much as Petya was called ransomware, the number of informed observers who think it was a campaign of ordinary criminal extortion is vanishingly small. Thus, an expressed desire to bring the criminals to justice is either naive or disingenuous. Second, Rosneft itself obliquely hinted that there's maybe, just maybe, a domestic source of the attack it suffered. The oil company said it hoped the attack had nothing to do with ongoing legal battles with its oligarch-owned rival Sistema. And third, the incident seems too closely aligned with Russian objectives in the hybrid war against Ukraine to be a mere coincidentally criminal operation. U.S. government warnings last Friday of phishing campaigns successfully targeting nuclear power installations may have been premature. In any case, the Nuclear Energy Institute said Saturday that no U.S. nuclear plants had been penetrated. We mentioned drone strikes as a possible retaliation for Petya a moment ago. That's surely headline writer's exaggeration. No one has seriously suggested droning some GRU coder for whatever it is that Sandworm may or may not be up to. But as cyber attacks increasingly have physical effects, kinetic retaliation is more often considered. British officials are the latest to entertain such speculation, and NATO members are devoting some hard thought to the circumstances under which the alliance's Article 5, Collective Defense, might be invoked in the case of cyber attack. Islamic groups continue to post inspirational material online. An affiliate of Al-Qaeda in Mali has posted disturbing video of long-term hostages it's kidnapped, and a group of foreign fighters in Syria has appeared in a pro-ISIS expose of all that's wrong with the Dar al-Harb, sensuality, lack of compassion, indifference to the plight of the elderly, and so on. These points are, to be sure, in tension with or outright contradiction to the murderous practices ISIS and similar groups have sought with unfortunate success to inspire. But for a window into the story they're telling and the values they're offering, this video offers some useful and sobering insight. The European Union and some of its member states signal a determination to police data security, competitive practices, and extremist speech. Germany has enacted a law that would impose harsh penalties on services that permit hate speech. A look to existing measures to identify such speech suggests the problem remains unsolved. Facebook's guidelines for human curation of content carried over the social media provider shows the difficulty of applying such measures in ways that either can't be easily circumvented, that yield counterintuitive results, or that simply amount to censorship. Those optimists inclined to see carrots may wish to consider that the sort of stick GDPR might wield against non-compliant companies was foreshadowed last week in a different case entirely. Last week, the European Union hit Google with a record fine for anti-competitive behavior, a cool $2.7 billion for goosing search results in its own favor. Google will appeal, but Mountain View isn't optimistic. Google has said it expects to pay in full. It may get worse. The EU's Commissioner for Competition followed up the regulatory finding by encouraging companies whose business may have been damaged by anti-competitive practices to use her report as the basis for civil suits against Google. Kaspersky Lab will show its source code to the U.S. government, a development that hasn't been universally welcomed in the security industry. Kaspersky was facing a possible congressional ban on doing business with the U.S. defense sector. Russia mulls retaliation if Kaspersky is barred from such work in the U.S. Finally, a quick update on those assaults on the British Parliament's email system. 
Over a week ago, Whitehall was subjected to a brute force campaign designed to expose parliamentary passwords. Late last week, MPs were warned again. They'd been receiving phone calls from Windows, contacting them on behalf of the Parliamentary Digital Service. As you might expect, they were calling to help with problems, and would the MPs kindly tell them their passwords, the better to enable them to address the problem, and so on. The actual Parliamentary Digital Service was quick to say that we will never ask you for your password. Indeed, no one with your best interests at heart is likely to ask you for your password. And no, that isn't Windows calling. The boiler room background noise alone is a dead giveaway. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Marcus Rauschecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Marcus, great to have you back. Uh, we saw a story come by via Reuters, and uh, the headline was, Companies Use Kidnap Insurance to Guard Against Ransomware Attacks. That's news to me. What's going on here? Yeah, this is uh, somewhat of an interesting uh, new approach here that some companies are taking. As you may know, uh, companies that do business in uh, dangerous parts of the world may often have these kidnap and ransom insurances so that in the event that one of their employees gets kidnapped and held for ransom, the insurance would kick in and actually pay the ransom to release their employee. Now, some companies are taking that kind of insurance and trying to apply it to uh, cyber incidents, uh, specifically ransomware incidents. So a company will become a victim of a ransomware attack where their data is held ransom, so to speak, and the company has to pay to get that data back. That can be very costly. So a lot of companies who have this kidnap and ransom insurance are trying to use that insurance policy to cover their cost 
for responding to the ransomware cyber attack. It was interesting in this story, they, they quoted a gentleman named Bob Parisi, who works for um, uh, Marsh and McLennan Companies, an insurance broker. Uh, he said, uh, if your CFO gets kidnapped, the company is going to continue to function. If you get a piece of malware in the system, you might have two factories that stop working. The actual damage is probably greater. Now, that may be true unless, unless you're the CFO. <laughs> well, yes, the C- you certainly want to, wouldn't want to be the CFO in that situation. Right. Um, but it is certainly the case that for a lot of companies, um, the data that they have and that they use to conduct business is absolutely critical. Without that data, they can't do business. It's vital that if they are victim to a ransomware attack, that they get access to that data again as quickly as possible. So, you know, it's interesting uh, that companies are trying to use this kidnap and ransom insurance and are trying to apply to ransomware incidents when that clearly was never the intent of this kind of insurance policy. It was always intended to apply to individuals who might get kidnapped, but not to cyber incidents. So I think it's kind of an ingenious or a, a novel way of trying to get coverage. But I think what companies really should be doing and what they really should consider is getting actual cybersecurity insurance, right? A cyber insurance policy that will actually apply in cases of ransomware as well. Um, Because I think in the end, the company will be much better off having that kind of an insurance policy that will specifically apply to cybersecurity incidents and incidents of ransomware um, where they know they'll be covered and can recoup on some of those costs that are associated with the incident. Yeah, I thought an interesting take home. The article ends uh, talking about AIG, the insurance company, saying that they've reduced business interruption coverage for kidnapping and ransom policies to a million dollars for cyber extortion events. And the quote is, insurers didn't anticipate there would be this much ransomware activity. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. Uh, ransomware is a growing threat. Uh, it's only going to continue to grow, and uh, hopefully companies are realizing that and doing everything that they should be doing to protect themselves and their data. All right, Marcus Roshecker, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. 
Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.